We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12 is today we finish the book. And what a book it's been. I pray that you will have been blessed by it. You know, his prayer life, uh, his pure life, uh, his prophetical life. Um, you can't be confronted with this with an open heart and be the same. And Daniel is an awesome book. And we read today in verse 1, it says, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time, and at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, and any of those who sleep in the dust of the year shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We begin, first of all, with the tribulation uh, described there in verse 1. Notice it says, at that time. Now, this is not a chronological description you know, of a succession of events. At that time speaks of an era. The era is the end of the world. At the end of the world, that era right there, is this Michael, he, he stands up, man. He's a great prince, it says, who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. You know, when you read the Bible, there's only two angels that we have names of, two good angels anyways. One is Gabriel, and the other is Michael. Now, when you put all the passages together that mention Michael, Daniel 10.13, Daniel 10.21, Jude verse 9, and Revelation 12.7, what you find is that Michael was a fighter. Michael was a warrior. Michael battles in the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, Michael is such a good fighter. You guys ever know somebody who's a good fighter? Okay, he's a good fighter that even Gabriel <laughs> needed his help. He said, hey, come here and help me because I'm fighting these demons, right? And so that's who Michael is. And it's important to know that because in Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to get into what's called the Great Tribulation Period. It's going to be the judgment of the world. It's the wrath of God that's going to fall. And it's going to be crazy. And even the, the just the aggression and the way that the devil knows that his time is short and he's just furious. And he just, man, he persecutes the Jews we're going to see like never before. But what ends up happening, what triggers this, is halfway into the tribulation period, three and a half years in, what ends up happening is Michael stands up. That's what it says right there. Michael stands up because God tells him to stand up. And if you read Revelation 12 and you read Daniel 12, you're going to understand each one. You've got to read Revelation 12 and Daniel 12. Very important. But what happens is Michael stands up and he says, Satan, you're not allowed into the presence of God anymore. Now we know Satan was cast out of heaven when he sinned, but he still had some type of communication with God. I don't know if they met you know, a, a heavenly Starbucks or something. Somehow, you know, they were able to meet up. And what ended up happening was the devil, he would come, and like you read Job chapter 1, and he would bring, if you read Revelation 12, Job 1, accusations against the brethren. Accusations against the brethren. He'd go day and night, look at what he did, look at what she did, look at what they did. And he's the accuser of the brethren, right? And so finally the day comes, and you read it out in Revelation 12, where Michael stands up. And he says, enough. And what ends up happening is he is cast out of heaven and him and the one-third of the angels are not allowed access any longer. And what ends up happening is that at that point, the devil knows that his time is short. And you read that in Revelation 12, and what does he do? We're going to see he persecutes the Jews. We're going to see that as we go through our scripture, even today. 
We read in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 and 9, that war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so you read the balance of that chapter and you find Satan's not allowed into heaven any longer and he focuses now his attention and his aggression on the absolute annihilation of the Jews. And when you see things going on in Jerusalem now, you see things going on in Israel right now, you see the war, if they see things stirring up in the Middle East, it's all signs that God says, hey, I'm coming soon. Now if you're a Christian, that's kind of good, right? You're like, hey, Lord, come. I mean, I can't wait to go home, to be honest with you. One day, it's up to him as far as what time. But if you're not a Christian, that's not good news. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you really know the Lord? You're like, well, hey, I'm in church. Well, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, right? Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac, right? You guys have heard that a million times. You know, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but the other day I was reading in the news uh, just a few days ago. Maybe you saw it on Eyewitness News about this, uh, this creature called a geep. Did any of you guys hear about that, geep? What, it, what happened, I guess, there was a farm in Arizona, some petting zoo of some sort, and what happened was uh, they had a little sheep, and, uh, and they noticed that, that their little sheep was getting kind of fat. And so they were thinking, hey, probably the sheep is eating too much, right? Because there's no, uh, there's no males for that little sheep, right? And so what ended up happening was uh, they found out that the sheep was pregnant, but what had happened was the goat had impregnated the sheep. And so they had this you know, creature called a geep. They called it a geep, right? And uh, <laughs> it was uh, half goat, half sheep. And, uh, and when, I, when I heard about that, you know, I said, whoa, Lord, that sounds weird, you know, a geep. And I guess there are probably others out there, but half goat, half sheep. And then I remember that in the Bible, in Matthew 25, it says one day Jesus is going to come and he's going to separate the goat from the sheep. He said, goat on my left hand, sheep on my right hand, sheep go to heaven, goat, you don't go to heaven. And so the Lord just kind of ministered to me. He said, you know, there's a lot of people that think they can be part sheep and, and part goat. They think they can have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and, and you know, I'm a geep or whatever. And you know what? That might happen in, in, in the physical realm, but there are no geep in God's kingdom. And I just want to encourage you, just in case you're thinking you can straddle the fence, just in case you think, well, I can have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, just in case you're thinking, well, you know what, I kind of went forward kind of one day and I kind of did the whole thing and I did, you know, whatever. But you're not really living for the Lord. I want to encourage you to just, man, you know, make a breakaway. Come to Jesus Christ. Give him your heart. He loves you. He doesn't want just half your heart. He doesn't just want two hours on a Sunday. He wants to bless your life. And so my encouragement to you is, is come, you know, completely to the Lord every day. And what you'll find is, man, God will blow your minds. Because he's coming so soon. We read these things and we know that the tribulation is just right around the corner. But the devil is working overtime in order for him. You know, God has a plan for your life. Can you hear me? God has a plan for your life. Amen? So does the devil. Amen? The devil wants to do what he can to destroy your life. And so you need to be very careful, right? You know, what we see right here is the tribulation. Look at verse 1 again. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time, notice it says, of trouble. Now, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, calls this Jacob's trouble. Alas, for that day is, is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's his distress. It's his anguish. It's so bad. We read here in verse 1, it says, Such as never was since there was a nation. 
Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 24, verse 21, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world, until this time no, nor shall ever be. And so he's telling the Jews, remember he's writing, he's writing, he's speaking to Daniel, who's speaking to his people, he's saying, there's going to be a Jacob's trouble, this time of tribulation, that has never, I mean, it, it just, it's never, it's, it's worse than ever, than you have ever experienced as a nation. Now, when you study the history of the Jews, you're like, whoa, that's, that's pretty bad. Because when you, when you study the history of the Jews, you know that they've been through a lot. You know, and you read about when they were carried away into captivity by the Assyrians, or when they're carried away and just devastated by the Babylonians, or we even read in Daniel 11 about the persecution of Antiochus Epiphanes, or in 70 AD when the Romans came and over one million Jews were killed and 97,000 were taken into slavery and they were scattered throughout the face of the earth. Or in 132 AD, the death of 500,000 Jews or 379 when we see uh, this gentleman uh, that permitted the destruction of synagogues, not really a gentleman, if they served any type of religious purpose. In 1096, we have the first crusade that was launched. Although the prime goal of the crusades was to retake Jerusalem, what we find is that the Jews were killed, 12,000 were persecuted and slaughtered. And right there we see that that then was succeeded by eight other Crusades all the way up into the year 1272. And then in 1290, we have Edward I banishing the Jews from England. 16,000 were forced to leave the country. In 1298, the persecution of the Jews in Bavaria and Austria, 140 Jewish communities were destroyed and more than 100,000 Jews were killed over a six-month period. And then you have 1306, 100,000 Jews were were expelled from France and they left the country with only their clothes and their uh, food for one day. In 1348, we have the Black Death that raged in Europe and the Jews were blamed for it. And so what ended up happening was 5,000 Jews were burned alive at the stake in Bavaria. 12,000 were then killed in a new town in an immersion. And then in 1391, the Jewish persecutions began in 70 other Jewish communities, and then 1394, they were expelled again from the second time for France. And then in 1915, 600,000 Jews were forcibly removed from the western borders of Russia toward the interior. 100,000 died in the process of exposure and starvation. In 1920, the defeat of the Germans in World War I was then blamed on the Jewish influence. And so in 1933, we know the influence of Hitler rose and the Nazi era began. And when you fast forward to 1939, the Holocaust, the systematic extermination of the Jews in Germany and Europe begins and the process did not end until 1943 with the conclusion of World War II and some 6 million Jews, including 1.5 million children, were systematically exterminated simply because they were Jews. And so, you know, and that's just, I didn't read everything because I need glasses, I'm having problems seeing the small print, but man, I mean, just, they have gone through so much. But, but here in Daniel we read, when that tribulation comes, oh man, he says, it's going to be worse than ever. See, and that's what we have ahead for Israel. That's what we have ahead for the world. The Jewish people have known many a time of trouble through their history, but it will be nothing like this. Many will die. One third, however, it says right here, will be delivered. There will be some that are delivered. Again, it says, and there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And it says, and at that time, your people shall be delivered. You know, earlier I read out Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It says, Alas, 
For that day is great, so that none is like it. And it's a time of Jacob's trouble. But the rest of the verse says, but he shall be saved out of it. And so two-thirds of the Jews are going to die. One-third will survive. We're going to see later they get tucked away in the rock city of Petra. And uh, it's amazing when you read that. But here's the thing, you guys. What we find is that they are delivered, I believe, physically. But I think primarily the good news is that the Jews will be delivered spiritually. You read Revelation again, chapter 12, verses 5 through 6, and you find the Bible says that she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, that's Jesus, and her child was caught up to God and his throne, that's when Jesus ascended into heaven. It says, and then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for her for by God that she should feed her there for 1,260 days. That's the three and a half years. That's the last half of the tribulation period. And so there's definitely a physical protection, but primarily there's a spiritual protection because when you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, what you find is that Romans 9 has Israel past, Romans 10 is Israel present, and Romans 11 is Israel future. Now it's important to know because sometimes you guys are going to listen to Bible studies maybe on the radio and they'll tell you that the church has replaced Israel. Not true. The church, man, we're blessed. We are grafted into the vine, but we have not replaced Israel. There are still promises for Israel. And one day, today the Jews reject Jesus, but one day they will accept him, right? And that's what Romans chapter 11, verse 26 says. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. I like the way that it says in Romans 11 that the deliverer will save Israel, the deliverer, and then here in Daniel it says, and at that time your people shall be delivered. Now not only is that proving to us that it's not just a physical deliverance, but it's a spiritual deliverance, but the very next part of the verse tells us the same thing because it says right there, everyone who is found written in the book written in the book and so you know Israel generally speaking comes to the Lord specifically it's in reference to those whose names are in the book you know and when we read about this it's interesting uh, apparently did you guys know that God has many books you guys know that uh, the one to be most concerned with however is the book of life the book of life, it's mentioned eight times in the Bible, but alluded to frequently at other times. I remember growing up, one of my favorite games was the game of life. Did you guys ever play that game? You remember that little dial that you twisted and all the nice colors, and I was a doctor all the time, man, you know. <laughs> Had a nice car and, and everything, you know. And uh, it was fun, you know. Uh, um, but here's the thing, you guys. You know, I think that we approach life like it's a game. And we're casual about it. We're flipping about it. We're not like understanding that, that life is not a game. And, and I tell you what, when you come to understand not a religion, but God loves you. God loves you. God sent Jesus to die for you. You know, when you come to that, then I, I think what ends up happening is your life, Billy, you, you experience life. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. You know, before I was a Christian, I remember I used to think that Christians were, were kind of boring. You know, man, they don't smoke and, and they don't get high and they have to wait until they get married before they have sex. I mean, come on, give me a break. And then, you know, all the other things that you want to do, you know, I don't know, as a young man, sometimes you might get dive into pornography or, or whatever it might be, violence, crime, you know, or maybe you're just wasting your whole life playing video games or, you know, going to the movies all the time or, or whatever, you know, and, and I'm not saying that you can't ever play video games or go to the movies, but there's more to life, right? And then when I became a Christian, I realized that all the things that God you know, said no to, he only said no to because they would thrash my life. 
I don't, you don't need the drugs. You don't need the alcohol. You could stay pure, wait until you get married and watch how God blesses your intimacy with your wife. It's meant to be a gift. It's meant to bond you together with your wife. All I know is that when you come to that place of, of life and that more abundantly, when you give your life to Christ, then your name gets written in the book of life. Don't get caught up in the game of life. I encourage you to make sure your name is written in the book of life because that's what we see right here. It's a really cool thing. Everyone found written in the book. Revelation 20 verse 12, it talks about that. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened. And so books were opened. Ooh, look at how he spoke to his mom. Ooh, man, that's pretty bad, you know. Oh, check, look at what he was watching on TV. Why would you watch nudity? Why would you fill your mind with nudity? And, and you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. So the books are opened, right? And all, I think all the things that we do in life, they're, they're all there. Revelation 20, verse 12, it says the books, plural, were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. But then in Revelation 20, verse 15, it says, And, and, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so... The tribulation, this tribulation period that we read about in verse 1, it's, it, it moves us to our destination, which is our next point in verse 2. He says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so, you know, two choices, man. You've got heaven or hell you've got free or in prison forever you've got life with God or without God that, that's what he's basically saying and the choice is yours you know you can go where you want your destination is in your volition it's in your heart it's in your hands it's in your tongue who do you confess as Lord of your life. And, and so he's saying, you know, many are going to arise. And there in verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. You know, there are those such as the Seventh-day Adventists and others that believe in soul sleep based on passages like this. And, you know, to me, when I read it, I understand, okay, I understand why you think that. Most of the church, however, does not believe in soul sleep. Um, let me quote Warren Wisby, who describes what Christians predominantly believe he says it is the body, not the soul, that sleeps and that is awakened at the resurrection. Nowhere does the Bible, nowhere does the Bible teach soul sleep. Death occurs when the spirit leaves the body. You know, when you die, your, your body's there, wherever it is, your soul leaves. Your soul leaves the body and goes with God or, or in this place called Hades Right? And that's what death is. The spirit of the believer goes immediately to be with the Lord according to Second Corinthians five verse one. And the spirit of the unbeliever goes to a place of punishment awaiting the final judgment. And you can read about that in Luke sixteen, nine through thirty one, nineteen through thirty one. At the last judgment, what ends up happening is death will give up the bodies of the unbelievers and Hades will give up the spirits. And so what happens is at the rapture of the church, we as believers will receive our new bodies which I'm really looking forward to, to be honest with you, man. Oh, a new ankle, because my ankle's messed up, man. Permanent damage, you know. New knees, new hair. It's going to be really cool, you know. We will receive a new body, um, which our bodies have been kind of sleeping in the dust for a time, and the non-believer will also receive their bodies at their resurrection. It's the second resurrection where multitudes will be judged at the great white throne of God. And so you guys know, you know, there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust, according to Acts 24, verse 15. Jesus said in John 5, 28 through 29, don't marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And so we read that here in our text. 
And it says right here, some to everlasting life, that's the believer, and some to shame and everlasting contempt, and that is the non-believer. And so, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, verse 35, the wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. And I say that to you guys today, you know, most of you here probably are Christians, but if you're here today and you don't know Christ or you don't know where you stand in your relationship with God, you know what? Today things can change. Did you know that? Did you know that today you can make a choice that will change your destiny? Did you know that today you can choose to follow Christ? You can simply say, I, I, I've sinned, I've messed up. Lord, I've fallen short. I know that sin, the Bible says, will separate me from you. And so, Jesus, I know you died on that cross for me. They put you in a grave, you rose again, and I believe in you, Jesus. And if you pray a prayer to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, your destiny changes. You know, for those of you who are here, you're already believers, praise God. But here's the thing, man, it's got to stir us up. It has to stir us up now to say, hey, there are people that are dying. Did you know that every single day, 155,000 souls slip into eternity every day. Wonder where they're going. We can make a difference. That's what we read next in verse 3. It says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If you're taking notes, the first point is tribulation, which drives us to destination, heaven or hell, which now moves into coronation. And right here it says, those who turn many to righteousness, they're going to shine like the stars forever. Now, when you die, okay, because I just want to make sure you guys know this, because sometimes people get confused. Okay, you won't like become a star. Okay, hey there's, hey, there's Henry right there, you know, or whatever, you know, there's Fred. It's not like that, okay? But you're going to shine like the stars. You know, there's that, 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 that program, Dancing with the Stars. But who's a star? Who, who says he's a star, right? I mean, we hear that all the time in the world that we live in. Oh, I saw a movie star, Right? Maybe you've heard of the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which has more than 2,500 stars embedded in the sidewalks along 15 blocks of Hollywood Boulevard and three blocks of Vine Street there in Hollywood. According to one article, the stars are permanent public monuments to achievement in the entertainment industry, bearing the names of a mix of actors, musicians, directors, producers, musical and theatrical groups, fictional characters, and others. They say the Walk of Fame is popular tourist destination with about 10 million people visiting this every single year. And so imagine, I just strip out on that, you know, because sometimes you see it on the news. Imagine getting your star. You know, they, eyewitness news comes and, and, you know, they got their cameras and you got the crowd and they're all there and they're giving you your star or whatever, you know. And I wonder how they feel when they get their star on Hollywood Boulevard or, or Vine Street there in Hollywood. And who knows, maybe for many of them it was their ambition, it was that certain recognition, you know, to have a star in the sidewalk for whatever season, for whatever reason, right? But, but I want you guys to know that we need to shoot for a different star. We need to shoot for a higher star, a brighter star, a bigger star, a better star for a better reason because our star will bring glory to God, right? And that's what we see here in verse 3, what I believe God is trying to teach us in his word. Daniel seems to be teaching us that those who are saved are wise there in the beginning of verse 3. And they're going to shine, it says, like the firmament. Now, the firmament is the sky. So you look out in the sky and you're like, oh, that's beautiful, right? But he says, those who turn many to righteousness, 
They're going to shine like the stars for how long? Forever and ever. I mean, those stars that are out there, they don't shine forever and ever. Eventually, second law of thermodynamics kicks in. The law of entropy kicks in. You know, they die. You will never die. Your light will never go out. And what God is trying to say here is, you know what, this world, tribulation, big time. This world, the sin, the suffering, the pain, the heartache, the devastation of the damage of the devil and all that he's done, is just absolutely horrendous, the tribulation. But he goes on and he says, and as a result of that, there's a destination. There's people going to heaven and there's people going to hell. And so, Manny, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to watch TV, Lord. You know, I'm going to kick it. I like to kick back, Lord. (laughs) We like to kick back, you know, and do, you know, hey. And then the Lord is just saying, I want you to do your part in turning as many as you can to righteousness. And you know, there's only so much we can do. There really is. I am, I am just a feeble, impotent man. I know that. We're vessels, though. We're vessels that God can work through. God can work through us. And that family that was getting torn apart, God can use you to help them and mend them. And that guy over there who's addicted to to drugs like never and has no help from anywhere else, God can use you to help them and set them free. And one by one, God begins to work in our life. And you might not be the evangelist. Maybe you will because we all have lips and we can all share. Or you might not be the preacher or the pastor. It doesn't matter. What matters is this, is we are a body of Christ. And when we all just do our part in the body of Christ, faithfully and unto the Lord, then when people get saved, and you've done that for the Lord, you you did the sound, or you did the usher, or you, you duplicated that CD, or you vacuumed the carpet, or you prayed, whatever it was for Him, people get saved, you're going to shine. You're the stars. That's what the Lord is trying to say. And so, you know, we got to rise up. There's a tribulation. There's a destination. There's a coronation. The devil would love to do nothing more than just to, you know, take away the urgency from you or take away the energy from you in serving the Lord, you know, and getting distracted, eating a whole bunch of nachos, cheese, Doritos or something, you know. It's like, come on, you know. The Bible says in Revelation 3.11, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. That devil is trying to take away the crown, your reward. You know, the Bible says in 2 John 1.8, Look to yourselves, examine your life, that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. And Jesus said in Revelation 22, verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Jesus is coming. We see what's going on in the world that we live in. He's coming so soon. And he's saying, my reward is with me. And, you know, to me, I, I don't know, There's a lot to it. We could probably just focus on that forever. But I just think, Lord, you know, you're not just bribing them. Well, maybe not. I don't know. He's not. He's not bribing us necessarily. But, you know, when you give your kid a a lollipop or whatever, you give your kid a greater responsibility if they're faithful and the lesser things, then um, what it really is, I think, in one sense, is getting them to kind of just be the man or or be the woman or or be the servant or do the things that that you would have them to do because you love them. And I think that's what the Lord's trying to do. What's going on in your life? 
Some of you here, you're serving the Lord. That's your life. I see it. That should be the testimony for all of us. I'm serving the Lord. And all that you do, you do as unto the Lord. And you take care of your kids as unto the Lord. And you are a husband or a wife as unto the Lord. And you teach that Bible study as unto the Lord. You take steps of faith as unto the Lord. Jesus said, my reward is with me. I'm coming quickly to give to those according to their works. And so he's motivating us with that coronation. One day there'll be those rewards. I want you to shine like the stars forever and ever. And one day when we're there, and let's just say you don't get a big reward. okay? Maybe you squeak into heaven by the skin of your teeth. Okay? And let's just say you don't get a big reward. Okay? Don't blame it on me, okay? Because <laughs> I told you. I told you that one day you would stand before God and He will reward you based on your works and the motives for your works. And so I encourage you, you know, go forward, man. And, and then ask questions. Look at verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And so you have tribulation, and then there's that destination, and then there's the coronation, and then here's the information. Interesting. He tells Daniel to shut up the words and, and to seal the book. What does that mean? We read the same thing later in verse 9. We read it back in Isaiah 8, verse 16. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. And so what does it mean to seal it? Shut up the words and seal the book. And, and what it means is not to hide it away, word and words be said, because God's message was given so as people would know the future. The book was to be treasured and protected and shared with the Jewish people. However, the book was sealed in this sense. The full meaning of what Daniel wrote would not be understood until the time of the end. Even Daniel didn't fully understand what he saw, heard, and wrote. And so when the Apostle John completed the book of Revelation, he was told to keep the book unsealed because the time was at hand. You need Daniel to understand Revelation. And Revelation helps you understand Daniel. And it's at that time where God says, okay, now I want these things to be more or less out in the open. You know, David Guzik said this means that the words should be kept safely until the time when they were needed most. Seal the book has the double sense of authenticating the message and preserving it. Now notice right there it says, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. What do you think that means? There are some who believe that what this teaches is that you know we'll be able to travel in the future. Like man, it's amazing to go over to Cambodia Man, on the other side of the world, you can do that. And, you know, just the explosion of information that we have with microscopes and telescopes and science labs and just all the things, the Internet. And so there are those who take it to mean that. I don't believe it means general knowledge. I believe the context demands that it speaks of spiritual knowledge, especially in the areas of Bible prophecy. It says right there, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. That's what happens when you unseal the book. You know, again, you know, one guy said the idea is that people would run about trying to find answers to important questions, especially in reference to future events. You know, and so you go to that church over there, or you go to that church over there, you go to that church over there, you turn on the radio, you read books, you're like going places. I want answers, Lord. I want to know, you know, what the Bible teaches. And the book of Amos says in the last days you go to that church and that church and that church and you're not going to get answers because they're not teaching the word because there's a famine in the land. But when you find the church, they're teaching the word. Okay, now we start growing, right? And, and what ends up happening is it's so cool. You know, we grow. And that's what he's trying to say right there. You know, many shall run to and fro, and then the knowledge 
shall increase. And I believe that knowledge has got to be the knowledge of the Lord. You know what? Something else is interesting. I read a couple of times in the different commentaries that running to and fro is actually running to different places in your Bible. Hey, run over to the book of John, chapter 10, real quick, and look what it says in verse 3, and then, you know, run over to the book of First Chronicles, chapter, you know, whatever, 18, and, and, and you're just searching the scriptures. You're searching the scriptures. Because Jesus said, if you search the scriptures, you'll find him. Isn't that cool? And so, you know, you're, you're reading this right here, and one day it's going to get unsealed, as a matter of fact, there are some people who criticize, uh, you know, the charismatic movement, Pentecostals, or even, you know, those that believe in the eschatology that we have, because they kind of say, well, you know, it wasn't really etched in church history and in the year, you know, 972, you know, and, and, and yet the Bible says, well, yeah, when it gets unsealed, they're going to understand prophecy more. As, as time progresses, it's exactly, it's, you're, you're, it's exactly what the Bible says would happen. That's why Sir Robert Anderson, when he discovered what Daniel 9, 24 through 27 meant, the 70 week of Daniel was amazing. Now we believe the first century church understood the rapture, maybe the rest. Along the ways there were the ups and downs, but it became clearer as time has progressed just like the Bible says. Right? And so you have your tribulation. You have your destination. You have your coronation. You have your information in verse 4. And then verse 5, investigation. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Now what we have in this section is the questions. Uh, one angel asked a question, more than likely for the benefit of Daniel, although maybe he was curious. I don't know if angels are allowed to ask questions. I know he did. And I believe that the one who was right there above the water was Jesus. Because who else do you know that, that walks on water? Nobody, man. <laughs> so there's Jesus, right? And we saw earlier in Daniel chapter 10 that the one clothed in linen is it's Jesus. And so that's so exciting, right? But you know, he's asking questions. And the first one, the Lord answers. When the angel asks the question, he says, well, the answer to that is that they're going to be in the tribulation. It says right there in verse 7, for a time, times, and half a time. Now when you read uh, Daniel 7.25 and Daniel 9 verse 27, Revelation 11.2 and 3, Revelation 12.6 and Revelation 13.5. I threw that out there so you guys can memorize that. But what you find is the time and times and half a times explicitly in the Bible refers to uh, three and a half years. So Jesus says, the angel says, how long? He says, three and a half years. And so you're in a trial. You're in a trial. Some of you here are in heavy trials. And you know the one thing that, that will make you lose heart is if you don't understand that one day your trial will end. 
I don't know when. Maybe it's going to be six months from now. Maybe three years from now. Maybe three and a half years from now. I'm not sure. You know, um, maybe, you know, it won't be until you know you you die. For some people, they just go through tremendous things. But you want to know something? One day it'll end. In this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And it's for that reason that we can carry on. It's for that reason, knowing the Lord's on the throne and during that tribulation period, it says that many are refined, it says right there, and they're made wide and they're, and they're purified during this time. Do you realize that this trial that you're going through, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, will do a supernatural work in your life? You're going to be you know, more like Christ? It's so cool to know that. It's three and a half years, the Lord says, I've got it all numbered, don't worry. And so Daniel heard, but he still didn't really understand time, times, half a time. He didn't really understand, so he asked again. And then the Lord says, well, sorry, Daniel, I'm not going to answer that question. Now, we, we can ask the Lord questions, but he doesn't answer all of them. You guys know that, right? What does he say when he doesn't give you the answer? Trust me. Okay, can you trust him? Yeah, because, man, he has only good for you, right, in your future. But he says, Daniel, go your way. Uh, the words are sealed until the time of the end. And man, we're going to see this great dichotomy, the pure and the wicked separated. And what we see in verse 11 and 12, I have this all figured out, just to let you know. No, I'm just joking, I don't. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, it says right there, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. And you're like, well, wait a minute, time out. Lord, you know, this is only supposed to be three and a half years. Why'd you tack on some extra days here? And then it says right here, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days, you know? And so no one really knows. Just in case you're wondering, you can read different commentaries, they tell you different things. But here's what happens. After the tribulation period, Jesus comes, and what does he do? In Matthew 25, he judges the nations. He separates the sheep from the goat. That's going to take some time, right? And then what does he do? He establishes his kingdom. He goes and he sets up his throne in Jerusalem, and he establishes government on planet Earth. We, the Bible says, will be ruling and reigning with him. We'll be over ten cities, over two cities. We will have responsibility. So all that takes time to set up. But once that's all set up, and the wicked are you know, put in their place, and man, think about this. The thousand-year reign of Christ on planet Earth. Jesus, King. Our King, Jesus. Once it's all done, I have a feeling that's what it means. He says right there, blessed. We're going to be so blessed. Blessed is he who waits and comes to that day. You guys, if you know the Lord, we're going to be there. I've got Hawaii already <laughs> and Almani. I'm going to do a dual thing like that. No, I'm just joking. I don't know. I don't know. But look at the way he closes the book. He says, but you go your way till the end for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Daniel, you're asking questions. It's okay to ask. But the Lord doesn't always answer all of our questions. So I don't understand why that happened. Lord, I wish, why? And you know when and, and, and how? And trust me. You know, Daniel, you wrote this for that generation. Daniel, you wrote this not, not for yourself. You wrote it for a future generation. But you, Michal, you go your way. You know, it reminds me of when, like, when, 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 when Peter, you know, the Lord was telling Peter what was going to happen to him. And then Peter looked over at his buddy John. He said, what about, what about him, Lord? What's going to happen in his life? And, and Jesus said, you know, don't be a Medici, man. <laughs> he said, don't worry about him. You, you follow me, right? 
We get our eyes all over the place, and you don't have to do that. You follow me. Daniel, I won't give you the answer to that, but you go your way, and you rest. And then one day, you, my son, you're going to receive an inheritance, an everlasting inheritance. You see, because when you come to the Lord, man, you come to that place of rest. And I pray that you would you would have that rest. I don't know how things are going in your life right now. You know, I don't know um, what's troubling you, what's distracting you. Um, sometimes, because, you know, our heart, you know, our heart is that you would be blessed. We want you to be blessed. And uh, I think a lot of times what ends up happening is we, we rob ourselves of the blessings because we don't know the power of God's love. Man, just God's on the throne. God loves you. God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of this church. God is so good. And, and, and we, need to just, we need to just rest in that. And if you rest in that, it just takes a burden away. And you're going to find that you're going to be able to go out and you're going to start skipping again. Remember when you used to skip? And you're going to start smiling again. Do you think God wants you to smile? Yes, he does. Your smile is beautiful to him. He wants you to laugh. He wants you to have peace. But all you got to do is come to Jesus and just give it all to him. You know, I remember reading a story, and I'll close with this. It was a Philippian, uh, 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 Filipino pastor <laughs> who told the story about um, one day there was a man um, that was a driver of a Carabao wagon. And he was on his way to the market when he saw an old man carrying a heavy load. It was a real heavy load. And so he felt compassion on his heart. And he pulled over and he invited the man into the wagon for free. I'll give you a ride for free. Because he saw him carrying that heavy load. And so um, the man gratefully came into the wagon and, and accepted the ride. But after a, a few minutes, the driver turned back to see how this old man was doing. And as to his surprise, he found him still straining under the heavy weight because he had not taken the burden off of his shoulders. And I, and I think that we do that sometimes. I know I do that sometimes. You know, thank God I'm saved. I came into the wagon. Jesus said, Manny, you're all messed up. Your only hope is to come in to the wagon because you're weighed down with sins and you're weighed down with vices and addictions and burdens that you can never bear. So you come into the wagon. But, you know, when you go into, let's just say you got a big old heavy load, you know, and someone gives you a ride, aren't you going to put it in the trunk? <laughs> or you're not going to still carry it on your shoulders? And that's what the Lord wants us to do. First Peter 5 Verse 7, it says, Casting all our cares upon him because he cares for us. May he give you rest as you give him your life. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.